0: You're listening to Systems Thinking for Kids, the podcast for teachers and others who want to help kids learn through understanding systems because everything is connected. On Systems Thinking for Kids, you'll hear conversations about how to illuminate connections for kids in the classroom, the community, and everywhere in the world. Systems Thinking for Kids is a project of the Wildwood Outreach Center at Wildwood School in Los Angeles. This is Systems Thinking for Kids. Your host is Jody Becker.
1: Hey, friends, thank you for listening. We're going to launch this podcast with a very special teacher here in Los Angeles. My guest is Molly Temple. Molly is a graduate of UCLA's Center X Graduate Education Program, that is a program focused on research and practice, and she teaches first grade at Palms Elementary School in Los Angeles. Palms is an LAUSD Title I public school in a vibrant LA neighborhood. It's a Southern California melting pot. Many locals love this diverse neighborhood. Many immigrant families are living here. Lots of kids who are English language learners. Molly, thank you so much for being here to talk about systems thinking for kids.
0: Hi, Jody. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a practice you've been evolving with for seven years, so it'll be great to hear about your process what works with kids, and how it's shaped your teaching. So let's start with some basics. How would you describe a systems thinking classroom?
0: I think I would describe a systems thinking classroom as one that is super content and context heavy, meaning that a lot of the learning, reading, writing, math, all of those are rooted in a lot of different subject matter about like real world issues that we're learning, as well as a super social classroom. There's a lot of talking and movement, and it's very student-centered. And in terms of maybe the noise level being a little bit louder, there's also a lot of listening involved between students
1: and the teacher. So that's a great description of what it might be like in your classroom. How would you think it's, it might seem different from a more traditional approach to your peers?
0: Yeah, I would say what's different about having a systems thinking approach in your classroom, again, is starting with the fact that it's very student-centered. And so a lot of what we decide to teach and how we decide to teach is more in the moment based off of students' interests. So I believe that there's not necessarily a lot of following of scripted curriculum or text, but a lot of that material is created in conjunction with the students, kind of in real time.
1: Let's hear some examples. You have very young students, first graders. So what works in introducing them to the idea of systems around them? Well, I think what
0: I've learned in the past few years is a lot of kind of editing and distilling information that is really deep into more bite-sized pieces. First and foremost, it's good to start with students' lives and examples like their lived experiences. So talking about their systems within themselves, systems within their families, within the school, really helps students to kind of get an idea of what systems thinking is. And then talking about the systems principles is the signpost for students to be able to have the language to name and notice what a certain system is doing or how it's functioning.
1: So you said systems within themselves. So just give us a concrete example. You talk to kids about the food they're eating and how it goes through their body or what they're seeing or what what kinds of systems work to help them start even thinking about their own bodies.
0: Yeah, well, to think about their own bodies. in, In first grade, a lot of talk is about the senses, the five senses. A lot is about feelings and how our feelings are interpreted by others, I would say. But in terms of like other concrete examples, I would say a really good way to think about systems thinking is to think about launching the school year. And so what it looks like at the beginning of the year is talking about systems of a classroom, for example, and why do we do certain things, very concrete, practical things, like why, why do we line up, for example, you know, what is the system there? How, what is that providing or creating agreements together. Why do we need certain agreements and how does it work?
1: Can you talk a little bit about how responsive kids are to the idea that things are parts of systems? Do you have to introduce that idea or do you find that kids already have some life experiences? Maybe they haven't put a label on it, but they know about some systems.
0: I think The thing is, it's not necessarily a brand new idea. I think that humans, young children in particular, before they've gone through so many years of schooling, do naturally think in a systems way. And a lot of times that means that their thinking is not linear. They're already naturally looking for the connections in things. They're looking for their place in the world. So I don't think that this is a new concept to them. I think, though, that Teaching with a systems thinking lens helps to give them the language and an academic way to think about it and approach it. Just as kids when they're young, don't yet know how they experience feelings, right? Through maybe a tantrum or extreme excitement, but they don't yet know how to explain what they're thinking. So that's why they kind of emote in such large ways. They learn the structure and vocabulary with time of like what feelings are and it's the same way that's how I view their development of systems thinking in schools that they've already known it and they're experiencing it but this gives them the language and structure to to dive
1: deeper into that thinking. There's also a really strong visual component I mean some of the systems that kids are a part of are clear and obvious in the classroom, for example, and some systems are not visible. So can you talk a little bit about tackling that? Again, with primary students, it
0: is always starting with the concrete and starting with the self. So those um, visible systems are really important to start with. And we touch on invisible systems by asking really simple questions like, what don't we see? And sometimes just a simple guiding question like that can elicit a lot of different responses that you may not have even thought of. And then that's kind of where you can go through. So by simply asking, what don't we see, I think is the best way to kind of find those invisible systems. And then on top of that, putting a visual to it, like systems mapping is one way that we can put our thoughts onto paper by naming and then putting visuals to those invisible systems, they become a little bit more clear.
1: So Molly, I think that one question some of your peers might have is around standards and how you can use a systems approach in your classroom and still meet and align with standards. Can you talk about that? A lot of times, we end up
0: as teachers teaching to curriculum because a stand there's a certain given standard that, you know, your state, country, district mandate, and then there is a lot of kind of curriculum that follows to meet those standards. And so what happens a lot of the time is, is we end up feeling like we need to teach to the curriculum. But when you teach just to the standards, that's the really, fr- which is what we should be doing. That's, it's really freeing. I feel like teaching to the standards is a really kind of exciting and liberating thing because I look through the standards. I always start with my standards when I'm trying to teach a lesson, but then you can build around that. For example, one really big standard in first grade language arts is retelling a story, knowing the elements of a story and retelling that. That's a standard that we must teach, But we get to choose how to teach that. And if we're in a systems thinking classroom, things are very student driven. So we can choose how we introduce stories. What stories do we introduce? In my class, we've done a lot of work around family stories and invited families to come in and tell their stories. And then we look at those stories, look at the elements in those stories and retell them. And so we're still meeting the standard, but it's just to me, I love teaching to the standards because it with the systems thinking approach, because it does feel really, really freeing.
1: It sounds like what you're saying is it kind of provides a guidepost, like this is a destination, how you get there will depend on the conversation in your classroom and the dynamics in your classroom and the things that your kids are interested in and can be somewhat helpful because I think there's conversation that well, we have to do something scripted or in the past teachers have been pushed to do something scripted.
0: Yes, exactly. The, the standards are the signpost. They're the grounding factor and everything, else, or they're the foundation, I guess, and everything else you can build around it. And that's the creative part
1: that you and your students create together. And it looks different every year. So you just talked about how it looks. And I'm wondering if you can describe the way that the systems classroom actually looks to kids and how that fits in with the practice of documenting the learning.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say... I feel like the documentation that happens in a classroom in systems thinking is so different than typical documentation because the documentation is all documentation of kids thinking. It's like the messy stuff is what goes on the walls because that's the stuff where the learning happens, where the connections are made. And so, for example, in my classroom, there is not a lot of finished product all lined up posted on the walls. It's it's very messy and designed by the students, but it's all the in-between work that we did. It's all the process work that we did to get to the product, right? It's not product driven, it's process driven. And one thing that I've been trying out, I, try, I started it last year and it's something that I want to continue exploring deeper, is I started something in my classroom called an Audit trail. And audit trail is not my term. I got that from this book, Negotiating Critical Literacies with Young Children by Vivian Vasquez. The idea of the audit trail is that the, the work we've, we do in unit, like in, in real time, we post different things up on the wall. For example, post its of kids' wonderings, pictures of books we've read, we kind of every little aspect of the learning we put on the wall. And then at the end of the, the unit, we all come together and we talk about what image feels most important or most encompasses what we learned this unit. And then what we do is we take that image and put it on kind of a longer timeline of all of the different things that we learned in the year. So each unit kind of has its own piece on a timeline. And then, you know, midway through the year, we can go back to that timeline and make connections between what we learned. Like, do we, do we notice themes, whether that be skills we've learned, subjects we've learned, any kind of connections that students can make. So that conversation becomes really metacognitive with kids because they're having to think about what we've been learning. They're having to distill kind of the main idea of what we learned, and then they're having to reflect on it. And that conversation I found was really, really rich and the visual was really helpful. We actually did it out, we did it and do it outside of our classroom in the hallway because that's where our biggest, longest space is. And so kids can engage with it and other classes engage with that kind of audit trail also. So that's something that I'm really interested in is is with my class documenting our learning throughout the year in like in unit at the time. That sounds
1: amazing, actually. I'm wondering how do the kids interact with both this audit trail and other kind of messy learnings and musings and ideas that are on the walls? What I've noticed in the conversations with
0: students is they will reference the wall in a conversation we may be having as a full class or reference a visual. Oh yeah, do you remember when we learned this? Or it's just like that. I also noticed that The kids seem really proud of the work that we've done as a class. And what I noticed more often than not is because it's in the hallway, my students show other students, oh, look, this is what we did. This is what we learned. And one of my favorite things is I've noticed upper grade kids looking and reading on the wall in the hallway, (laughs) which to me, that's really exciting too, because our work is exciting to other kids. You know, there's this idea that, the classroom is the third teacher, the environment. And I, I really do feel like all of those visuals creates the environment of, of thinking, of systems thinking, of connection and it invites that because the wall is it's a living document and it's always changing. Like I said, it's all the process. It's part of it's a, it's just the visual representation of our thinking that is happening in real time.
1: And it sounds like it's exciting for kids and it's not threatening because there's an underlying ethos that it's not perfect. It's evidence of what we're thinking, and it's all connected. You can reference the wall, like you said, which I think is great. There's evidence of something that we said or something we remember that's connected to something we're working on today. So one of the ways that a systems thinking classroom works is there has to be a lot of questions. You said at the top of the podcast that it can get noisy. So can you talk a little bit about how you guide the questioning?
0: Yeah, I feel like there are several different kinds of questions. There are guiding questions that we ask. There are essential questions that kind of cover entire units that are kind of like aspects of subjects that we want our students to learn. But I think part of it is Like in a systems thinking classroom, you need to plan some questions ahead of time to ask. And then at the same time, have this arsenal or be well-practiced in asking questions in real time when conversations come up. Sometimes it's a fun challenge for me to see if I can teach a lesson only asking questions because it keeps things really open-ended And then it also encourages students to ask questions. And the more questions we have, the more answers we can get and the deeper our thinking can become. And there are lots of different ways to word questions, but keeping them open-ended, such as, you know, like how do stories, what role do stories play in families, for example? Or what role do stories play in community? If that, that might be an example of an essential question. And then guiding questions kind of help lead the student to different answers um, without kind of giving them any answers, you know?
1: Yeah. And you said something else really interesting. uh, Because the ethos is that it's student-driven learning, that may feel very open-ended. But you also said that you should have some questions planned. And I think that could be really reassuring for teachers who are just trying it out.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. There are many times if I haven't planned a question that I feel like (laughs) I should have. (laughs) But yes, it's helpful to have questions planned and put on on different post-its or things or just in our mind. For example, with essential questions, I always post them on the board. That way I'm reminded and I'm more grounded in remembering what our goal is. For example, for a unit on life cycles, we started with the life, the cycle of rot and decomposition in studying worms and soil and compost. And that kind of spearheaded us to talk about the plant life cycle. And so we started with talking about the cycle of rot and how important it is for life.
1: So Molly, let me ask you, as we're wrapping this up, if this all sounds appealing to a teacher who has not tried systems or there's no systems thinking template at all in their school, what would you recommend is a good doorway in? Ooh, that's a really good question.
0: Read-alouds are always a good entry point to find systems in. But I really think looking to nature is super important. So for example, in first grade, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of talk about cycles, the life cycle of a certain animal, the life cycle of a plant. And those are standards across the board, across the country. So I think that starting there is a really good place look at some systems principles. For example, systems have cycles and, and start there. Start with one principle and one example. And then your students will definitely already like be able to make the connections because they're thinking that way already. We just have to give them the space to talk, to talk it through and show us.
1: Molly, thank you so much for sharing your insights and taking time to talk with me. I hope you'll come back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I would love to. To see Molly with her students in her classroom at Palms Elementary and to find resources she talked about in this episode of Systems Thinking for Kids, please visit our website. Thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to Systems Thinking for Kids. For more ideas and information, find us online at systemsthinkingschools.org. And check out our stories on Instagram at Systems Thinking Schools. Thank you for listening.